Welcome to the future of XYZ. I'm your host, Lisa Grelnick, principal and founder of LVG & Co., an independent strategy consultancy based in New York City. Through quick and candid conversations with innovative leaders, we aim to foster new thinking and explore big questions about where we are as a world and where we're going. Good afternoon and welcome to the future of XYZ. Uh, this week, uh, July 15th, we have the tremendous honor of hearing from Thomas Droge. Thomas, welcome to the future of XYZ. Thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. Nice to get on the screen with you. It is. It's been too long. So we are going to be speaking on future of XYZ today about the future of presence. And this is presents, not the kind that come under a Christmas tree or for a birthday, but presence of mind, presence of spirit, presence of body. And Thomas is truly an expert in this uh, universe, if you will. Uh, he's an acupuncturist, an herbalist, a teacher, a coach, an author. Uh, you hold a master's uh, in oriental medicine. He's spoken on you know, multiple national TV shows and other things, including with people like Deepak Chopra uh, and the founder of Pathfinder, who works with both individuals and corporations to help them uh, on the path of presence, really. So, uh, Thomas, again, thanks for joining us. I am going to lob the first question, which is, of course, in your mind's eye with all of this deep background that you have, what is presence? Yeah, they're not the things under the tree. Um, you know, it's funny, I like that term. Um, my working definition and the, and the one I most commonly use is uh, as much as is possible for people, a continuous um, attunement or attention to the present moment, both interiorly and exteriorly. And the, you know, the concept of mindfulness or these insight practices that are designed to teach you how to be um, present or aware, they've come so into the common vernacular that um, people forget what they really mean, which is the ability to remove the filtration of your um, projections and your senses to experience the moment in all of its potential. And it's really the in all of its potential piece that is at the kind of driving heart of what I'm usually teaching people. That's pretty interesting. And, and how do you teach people this? I mean, you obviously have lots of, I don't know if in China, in the Chinese tradition, they're called modalities, but you have so many tools in your toolkit. Can we talk about some of those and, and your, your preferred ones? Yeah. I mean, right now I do, most of my work is with uh, leaders and individuals who are trying to actualize a life that's both positive impact in the world and aligned with their kind of greatest gifts and, and clearest path forward. And to do that, um, we spend a lot of time sifting through what's keeping them out of the present. And the tools that I use to do that are movement practices from the 
Chinese tradition, um, Tai Chi and, or Tai Chi is actually what it's called, and Qigong are probably the two biggest movement tools I use. And then different metacognition tools um, in the form of meditation, but specific. And then a lot of, uh, a lot of awareness methods to kind of catch themselves and cue themselves into what they're experiencing so they can see it more clearly. It's interesting. And, and, and what is, I mean, I think, you know, you just said, for instance, Tai Chi, which I, is something I didn't know, but Qigong, it's all in, Amer- in, in, in Western character, right? In the, the Roman alphabet, Qi is spelled Q-I. Right. What is Qi to start with? Because Qigong and Tai Chi, even if it's pronounced differently, are both of Qi. Yeah, so it's funny, the Qigong, the Qi in Qigong is not the Ji in Tai Chi. It's, ah. it's not the same. So, I mean, really simply, Tai Chi, the term, means, uh, it's often translated as extreme limit, is what those two words mean. And it's about the exploration of the sort of ends of the spectrum in two different directions <clears throat> and the correlation between them. And if you think of that yin-yang diagram, which is actually called the Taiji, um, that diagram is a, the expression of these polar opposites. But the place of interest is the line that goes in the center of them where they exchange. Because the more those opposites come together, the more you find this integrated um, exchange between them. And the outer circle represents the wholeness of everything. So the concept of these polar opposite differences right this dualistic world and it has these two places of great unification one is at the exchange point like where the ocean meets the shore you know which is affecting which which is changing which and then the realization of the of the whole and it's a beautiful representation of human consciousness because for whatever reason in our evolutionary path our you know, Darwinian survival construct is built on navigating the dual perception of our sensory experience. But we were also gifted with the ability to cognitively understand the interconnected and interdependence and wholeness of everything. Even though from our senses, we don't experience it that way. And so we live within a paradox that we're trying to navigate all the time. And the tools of presence are about oscillating between those two states of awareness. It's kind of, I mean, it's, it's, it's big stuff, right? I mean, and I think this is one of the things that's very interesting about Chinese medicine in particular is it is by its very nature philosophic. Um, and that is very different, it seems to me, and maybe all religious, if you will, or spiritual practices or explorations are by their very nature philosophic because there's no something tangible and yet something about um, uh, Indian traditions as well, but especially the ancient Chinese traditions and the shamanic traditions um, of which perhaps this kind of fits in is in fact this ability to hold the abstract present. I mean, I hate to say that, but it's, it, it, we are yeah. talking about the future presence. It's, it, we don't have to see to believe, we just have to believe, or I don't know, you can say it better. I mean, it's funny that you bring it up because one of my big um, 
I mean, I was a, I was and probably am a pretty intense skeptic, although now I, I would say I'm a healthy skeptic. And before, I think I was like a hypercritical skeptic. But I remember specifically a day where, um, you know, I was the person who always asked why. And even in Chinese medicine school, people would say things. And I was like, well, can you prove that to me? You know, I needed proof for everything. And I remember um, specifically one day going through this process and suddenly my brain, for whatever reason, just flipped. And the, um, the sentence, like, it has to be proven to be true, switched to all things that are true are not necessarily provable. And it just opened up the option to explore the unprovable in a, in a new kind of way, not in a naive way, but in a, in a new kind of way. And I think that, you know, the, the cosmology that all of these practices of the East from India to China were born out of was, was an agricultural society that had a very different view of the world. And specifically the Chinese, because because it's an ideogram-based language, it's my belief anyway, that the nature of ideograms changes based on their contextual relationship in a sentence. And so what can mean mouth here means gate here, means like vastness here. And so the ability for something to mean two different things wasn't foreign to them. They were able to just have that be part of their construct. It's, it's actually pretty mind-blowing, I have to say, because contextual understanding is really everything in, in, in all communication. Um, you've obviously spent a good deal of time in China studying and training. I think you, I don't know how many decades of training you have under your belt, Thomas, but can we talk a little bit, I mean, you're, you're, you're not someone, you know, yoga is very popular today. You know, yoga has existed for thousands of years. It is not necessarily what is, you know, all about Lululemon and, and you know, yoga wear, right? This is, <laughs> it's morphed for, for sure. And perhaps the practices that you're teaching are not as mainstream yet, um, but they all require a certain amount of training, education, understanding in order to be able to be a master. And you are, in fact, a master uh, in, in Qigong at, at the very least. So can you talk about that training a little bit and how you've come to this practice and then how you use it to teach presence? Uh, yeah, I mean, my training started in the 80s. <laughs> it was a long time ago, I guess, right? Uh, and it was with, yeah, I was in Boulder, Colorado, where I met my first teacher and I was, I was training with uh, Navy SEAL candidates and our teacher was an ex-Navy SEAL and it was really very much about martial arts for me back then. And I think I was kind of a disillusioned, angry young man who foolishly thought he knew everything probably. And at the same time, I was studying poetry in college, which is what my first study was in. And, uh, and while I was with him, uh, I had an experience. He was also a body worker. And I had an experience with him working on me one day where I went through a whole deep um, 
transformative experience is the only way to say it, where I was on the table and at some point my whole body started moving on its own and I couldn't really control it. And of course, these terms are much more common now, but he was like, oh, you're having a somatic emotional release. <laughs> and that, you know, in the 80s, like no one used language like that. And, and he basically took very gentle care of me actually put like a big heavy blanket on me and kind of rocked me and I just went through a pretty intense emotional experience related to my father and moved through it but it was funny to be in such a kind of vulnerable place with such a masculine guy and who has such a sort of masculine, like archetypal warrior structure around him that I was used to. And we went into this experience, but that was sort of the first inkling of the other side of the equation, the sort of flip side of the Marshall coin is the healing coin. And a lot of the techniques, you know, the technique to set an elbow is just slightly different than the technique to break an elbow. <laughs> And it's all about your intent, right? So that got me started on that path more clearly. And then, yeah, I did four years of medicine and three years of an apprenticeship and studied in China for a little while, not that long, and have continued to train with different teachers in, well, in Qigong and Taiji continuously for the past, I don't know what that is, 40 years or something like that. Yes. And it's really, it's, it's quite remarkable. And what are you seeing? I mean, we talk, I, I joke about the Lululemon trend in, in yoga wear, you know, but I mean, these, these ancient tools for mindfulness, for connecting, I guess you would say, kind of the body and mind and spirit, you know, in a world as chaotic as ours increasingly becomes. What is the future of presence in your perspective and and how what are, what are the lessons that we as humans or individuals need to learn? Well, I think we are we are creatures that are of body and mind as one. Right. So within that Tai Chi diagram, like if one side's body and one side's mind, it's still inside the circle of our conscious existence, which is they are directly linked and connected and the understanding of the relationships between our body mind space and how we operate in the world is our it is our next evolution and yes yoga has turned into you know many different things in our culture but i think the one thing that it did was it created a pathway for people to engage more deeply in their own conscious mind and their how it's operating and how it's connected to their bodies. And um, that process has been really valuable. And of course, like it created a physique that the West really liked. And so it became very popular also, I think because of that. The beauty of Qigong is that the, the physical practices aren't that difficult or strenuous physically unless you want them to be but the benefit happens even when they're not and what they do is a lot of teaching you how to upregulate and downregulate your nervous system support your immunity and your blood circulation and start to map how your conscious and unconscious mind manifest 
signs in your body so that you can start to notice a feeling in, of, you know, a change in your breathing to the top of your chest instead of your belly that's showing you that your adrenaline's starting to rise and clearly there's a misalignment between your thinking and your action in the moment. And so you can then address it in real time with inquiry, right? And that's where the process becomes interesting. And I, I think the other big confusion is that the study of the mind um, has to be done with the exploration of your mind. And so you can do Qigong or yoga all day long, but if you're not doing, you know, metacognition practices, which are special specific meditation practices, you won't um, actually work that muscle, right? You won't build that awareness. And what I teach people is the process of stepping out of the projection into the future and the memories of the past and how they're commingling with their senses in the real moment to try and create a neutral place of perception to then see the different options that are potentially in front of them. And that's when it gets really exciting. Well, and it sounds like a great opportunity. I know you've, you've done a lot of uh, as you call it, body work, obviously, and and herbal work and recommendations and movement work uh, historically with individuals, and you're increasingly moving towards working with leaders and organizations. Um, that seems incredibly valuable. I mean, including in the work that I do as a strategist, right? You're constantly looking ahead at the path to evaluate the options to get from where you are to where you want to go is how I, I describe it. And I mean, especially in a business, to be able to calibrate enough to see those options more clearly and kind of understand them sounds incredibly valuable what are you what are you taking away right now from the fact that there is demand for let's call it presence of mind training for organizations and organizational leaders well i think um in the attention economy right where our consciousness is really being you know, let's not use this in a bad way, but effectively manipulated by neuroscience-influenced marketing technology and, and UX design, the ability to know your mind enough to then be able to um, maximize your time and use your time with real precision and in alignment with what you truly believe and how you want to be in the world is harder. And so the knowledge of your own consciousness becomes a kind of critical tool to wade through the, you know, attention economy's constant barrage. It's and even beyond the attention economy, the information age that we live in, right? So it's, I mean, that's where I spend my time with people is working with how do I deal with all the UX interfaces that run my life? And, and they do. I mean, we've all, we're all finding our own attention spans so fractured uh, more than ever, no matter what we do. And um, I think that these practices that bring us to the presence, which is why I think it's so interesting that you, you know, opted instead of the future of Qigong, which is what we had discussed, but the future of presence feels very apt for the moment that we're living in, does it not? Yeah. And I mean, we're in a it's interesting that you brought up Taiji because we're in a moment in time as a 
species where it's kind of critical that we understand ourselves as a whole in order to you know manage the planet from a holistic standpoint right like we can't be isolationists right now we have to look at the global community in every level and so the more i see companies and leaders who are taking that into account not just as like you know the necessary you know foundational wing of their company but are actually saying oh yeah we really have to have this be part of our overall viewpoint to impact the world in some fashion is a is part of how we bring the rest of the world along like the leaders you know if they're like one of the companies i work with this fintech company that has nine or ten companies in their portfolio and the founder brings everybody together for weekly qigong and the ceos of those companies are all in the room doing qigong together and you know he had to do it to bring them into it like but that starts to go out into the group and now every meeting in all of those companies begins with 90 seconds which isn't a lot of meditation before they start any meeting and it creates a radical difference it does. I think it's a radical difference. Uh, I've I've worked in companies, uh, or more. I've 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 counseled and advised companies who do this, and it is it is uh, profound the difference that just that presence of mind, and a reset, right? A, a grounding in where we are right now, and a connectedness. As we as we look to close, Thomas, we have a couple minutes left. I just want to um, inquire. You've you've talked about it a lot in terms of the Taiji and the symbol of you know the yin and yang, of this amazing interconnectedness of everything. And I think these Eastern traditions are far more um, built upon interdependence and interconnectedness as we think about the future of presence in the world that we're living in um, where it's so obvious how interconnected our planet is to human action and animals are to human i mean we are all and as inter as as individuals we are in cultures we are also interconnected what would you say uh, in closing is really that um that message of presence for helping us kind of actualize, if you will, the interdependence uh, at the next level? <laughs> Sorry, I just, you know, why no, no, not it's a beautiful 30? question. I'm just, you know, in a capitalist society, to say that we should remove personal pronouns from our speech in order to somehow find a way to see the importance and value of all of us is is tricky like it's tough to navigate you know a capitalist process which is the one that we live in and use it correctly but also understand that we've got to take care of all of us and so i think to to look to the present moment and ask yourself how am i treating every person i come into contact with throughout my day Am I treating them with respect, kindness, curiosity, sincerity? Well, then, okay, I'm probably doing something to spread presence and, and interconnectedness out into the world. I like that. That's 
that I, 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 that resonates personally quite a lot too. So thank you for that. Well, Thomas, it's really, I mean, I always adore speaking with you. I feel like I slow down. As I with you. <laughs> it's really, it's just, it's heaven. Um, and thank well, you for thank joining you. us. Yeah. And thanks for joining us on Future of XYZ. Future of Presence is um, it's a big one. Love it. All right. Have cool. a present day. <laughs> Have a present day. The the the, pre the day is the present. <laughs> and everyone watching and listening, thank you for joining us on Future of XYZ. You can subscribe on YouTube as well as podcasts everywhere. <laughs> exactly. Click subscribe rate how you like it and also follow us on future of xyz on instagram thomas again thank you and everyone we will see you next week pleasure thanks see you soon see you soon thanks for listening to the future of xyz if you like what you've been hearing please follow lisa grelnick on linkedin Visit future-of.xyz or subscribe to the Future of XYZ podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.